0: Alright, welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Nowlin. So, what do you usually say when someone asks you, how was work today? Anything interesting happen? I want to share some thoughts with you as to why no Christian should ever be bored at work, and why no follower of Jesus should ever be hopeless about any person or circumstance in their life. You know you're a true multi-dimensional being you exist as both material and spirit and the challenges and opportunities you face in life are also multi-dimensional you know often the point of failure believers experience in life is when they apply natural responses to spiritual challenges we have to realize that we are spiritual and natural beings not all issues in your metron can be managed from a natural world approach we're created to manage the natural and spiritual environment in our metrons but what exactly are you managing towards you're managing your metron towards the righteousness of god and away from the works of darkness in first john 3 verse 8 the second part of the scripture says the son of god appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil you know all believers have been given authority for a purpose and that purpose is to destroy the works of the devil this is actually a significant part of your job description no matter what metron you manage If you are raising kids at home or you're a president guiding a country through a crisis and you claim to follow Christ, you are commissioned to identify those works of darkness and stop those works of darkness in your metron. When we talk about the second part of the original commission, which is found in Genesis 2.15, the word keep stands out, and that word keep often is interpreted as Stewardship, which is true, but it's got some depth of meaning here. It means to guard, protect, watch over, serve, to steward. But what exactly are you guarding from? What are you protecting from? What are you watching out for? The enduring threats in this world are primarily spiritual, and they regularly come against the gardens of men, or metrons of men, you could say. We are commissioned to guard and protect, to shamar or keep those threats out. Look at some of the depth of meaning in this word shamar. It means to keep, guard, observe, to give heed, to oversee, to steward, give charge of, keep watch, to ward or ward over, protect. And I love this last part, to save life. When you are leading a company as a believer, or you're working in a mainstream job, this is part of your mission. This is part of your commission. This is part of your day job, so to speak. You keep, and you have charge of, you guard, you watch over, you protect, you save life in regards to the people and the place and the space that God has assigned to you. What you will discover is that people, places, and spaces are driven crazy by the kingdom of darkness? They really are broken. They need redemption and restoration. The people, the places, and the spaces. This is where your work, your work environment, gets really interesting. Your, your job becomes multidimensional. When you realize that the issues are spiritual and can be fixed spiritually. You know, this is what it means to destroy the works of the devil. Our conflict, our battle, as it says in Ephesians, is not against flesh and blood, but against every spiritual force of darkness in heavenly places. If you win in the heavenly places, the earthly places come into heavenly order. Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In your people, your place, your space, the prince of the power of the air is very much at work, just like he, just like he was at work in you before you were set free in Christ. You know, we have to remember this and keep our spiritual eyes open in order to really know what has to be done in our metrons. Second Corinthians 4.18 clearly says that we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. You know, it's important to discipline yourself, to look through, perceive through a natural situation in order to see what's spiritually happening behind the scenes. That's your spiritual eyesight. That's discernment. Many problems in your sphere are actually rooted in spiritual realities. These spiritual issues require spiritual eyes and wisdom from God in order to really know why things are the way they are and how to address the issues. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The successful Metron manager always keeps their spiritual eyesight active. We see the world through the right lens. That's the art of discernment and the art of spiritual eyesight. Managing your Metron is as much about managing the spiritual atmosphere of your environment as much as it is about addressing the physical and tangible realities Of our lived experience. Let me tell you a wild story that will illustrate what I'm talking about. You know, this is an excerpt from my book titled Outreach Matters, an account that I share on page 39 about something that happened in Ukraine in the early days of my ministry career and outreach efforts overseas. You know, back in the wild days after the collapse of the Soviet Union, brokenness and hopelessness. Were the currency of the day in that part of the world. At one point, our team was sitting around a small living space in our 1940s era refugee housing in central Ukraine. We were a team of about 18 people from all over the world. Shortly after the collapse of the Soviet Union, we had come to bring healing and the gospel message to the Ukrainian people. We'd been conducting open air evangelistic events on streets and plazas for nearly six weeks. Often, we conducted three events per day, walking more than four miles in between event locations. The Lord was moving so profoundly among the people in that season that we thought it was a slow day if fewer than a thousand people came to the Lord in repentance. Now, however, things were really slow. Our local facilitators and partners had run out of ideas, and we were struggling to figure out what was next. We did not want to waste even a day of this incredible opportunity in spiritual history. God had entrusted these events to us. As we sought the Lord for what to do next, we were thinking only of traditional evangelistic approaches. But as we prayed about what to do, someone on the team remembered hearing about the dire conditions facing Ukrainians who required mental health care. The next scene we decided we were going to make struck at the heart of darkness in this community. We approached the rusty iron gate at the front of a mental hospital as a large group. During the Soviet phase of control over Ukraine, many people were committed to mental hospitals or asylums whenever they exhibited issues that traditional medical hospitals could not understand or manage. Often these issues were spiritual in nature, but the atheistic worldview of the medical community did not have a means for dealing with the violent and tormented condition that afflicted many citizens. Therefore, the only recourse conceivable to them was to commit these afflicted members of society to an asylum, thereby keeping them away from the rest of the community. A local pastor explained this dynamic to us in detail and mentioned that he wished he could do something to help these people, particularly at one local asylum. His prayers for a way to respond were answered through our team. After praying and seeking the Lord for direction about what to do next, we felt strongly that we should invite ourselves to this local asylum to share the gospel and minister in the area of healing. Obviously, the devil was not going to hand over any of his captives willingly, so it was time to take back some high ground. It was time for us to deal violently with the powers of darkness and take ground for the kingdom by spiritual force. When we approached the gate, our group was dressed in performance clothing and costumes. Some of us had on white face makeup. We were a disconcerting sight for the average sheltered Ukrainian. When we arrived at the gate and asked to be let in, it probably appeared to the guards that we were there to check ourselves in as patients. They had never seen anything like this before. I think they opened the gates out of a sense of humorous disbelief, but to us it was like the Red Sea parting, and we went into the complex. As our leaders negotiated with the administration of the asylum, we stood around observing this bleak and hopeless facility. The entrance was a dark gray concrete with steel bars covering the few visible windows. It looked more like the entrance to a nuclear bunker than a hospital. Negotiations were over in a few minutes, and the amazed administration agreed to gather all the patients into an indoor central amphitheater so we could perform and share. This was probably the first entertainment that had ever made its way into a Soviet asylum. As we made our way into the amphitheater, I realized we were in for a wild time. More than 500 patients were herded into the bleachers, these bleacher-style seats, and the administrators were quickly organizing them into sections and rows. It was tumultuous and out of control, and it was out of control of the facility staff. People were screaming and fighting and wandering around in a way that you might think you could only be seen or portrayed in a movie. As soon as the administration had organized and seated the crowd, the administrators disappeared, Every administrator made a fast exit from the auditorium before we had even established ourselves in the large stage in front of this auditorium. It was obvious that they were not confident that this gathering was going to go very well. Then I felt something hit me in the back, and I turned around to see a syringe with an exposed needle laying on the ground. Quickly, I felt all around my back where I'd felt the impact, had one of my team members check for any puncture wounds, By God's grace, the plunger into the syringe had hit me instead of the needle. Who knows what diseases could have been carried on that syringe. As syringes and other random objects continued to fly in all directions, it was clear to me why the administration had wanted to be out of the room. We were beginning to question whether we had heard the Lord clearly on this idea. As quickly as we could, we began our performance and intermittently shared testimonies from our lives about the work God had done in each of our own lives, But no one was listening. It was chaos in the seats, and a number of people in the crowd were beginning to manifest uh, demons as well. This frightened their fellow patients and increased the disorder. Finally, our team leader said, this isn't working. For what comes next, I should explain in advance that we had one translator with our team at this event. Our team leader's wife, she was from a Ukrainian family in the U.S. and spoke both English and Ukrainian. Our team leader continued by saying, okay, let's just pray for them to be healed. He had us all stand at the front of the stage, lined up with the descending stairways that led down from the bleachers. He said, I'm going to call them to come forward, and if they want to be healed, you guys are going to pray for them. Not only was this incredibly intimidating, but none of us spoke Ukrainian. I mentioned this detail to him as we got ourselves positioned for what was gearing up to be one of the wildest prayer events I'd ever seen. Our team leader said, don't worry about it. God will tell you what to pray for and they'll get healed. So it began. The announcement went out to come down if you want to be healed. They came in a rush. Long lines formed down the stairways and hundreds of patients waited to be prayed for. The first person I encountered was a young man who seemed to be fairly normal in appearance, but he had a very sad countenance. I found out later that his family had locked him up in this asylum when he began to suffer from demonic oppression at night. It prevented him from sleeping. As he stood before me, I laid a hand on his shoulder and just prayed out, Lord, I don't know what's wrong with this guy, but whatever it is, I ask you to heal him in Jesus' name. That was all I had. Suddenly, the guy began to shrug his shoulders and shake out his limbs like someone warming for a boxing match. Through his excited charades, we figured out that he had also suffered from pain or arthritis in all of his joints. But after we prayed, the pain was gone. He quickly ran up the stairs to one of his friends who was sitting up there, and he proceeded to bodily drag the unwilling man down to us to have him prayed for as well. The man did not initially cooperate, but after a quick prayer over him, he was healed. We had no idea what He was healed from, but the two of them immediately ran from the auditorium. We learned later they had checked themselves out of the hospital and their families had come to take them home all over the front of the auditorium. Similar scenes were being repeated with our team members, laying hands on people, seeing them healed. Our one translator running from healing to healing, confirming what had happened and asking those that were healed if they wanted to receive Christ. It was an amazing situation. I lost my voice from praying for so many people. Hundreds were healed and many received Christ. Sometime after midnight, we finally finished praying for the last person. My head was spinning and I was completely voiceless and exhausted. Our team was flying high on this incredible experience with Jesus. You know, we found out later that a large percentage of the patients at that asylum were delivered and healed. Many of them had gone on to check themselves out of that hospital and return home to their families. This is God's desire and his compassion for humanity, that we be healed, delivered, made whole. As a prince or princess in the kingdom of God, there is never a reason to be bored. You know, you may find yourself taking a job that feels like you voluntarily took on an insane asylum. You might acquire a company and find out that a lot of your employees have similar issues like these poor folks did in this institution in Ukraine. Some might not be there voluntarily. Some might have legitimate mental illnesses, character issues. Some may have demonic issues. But I can guarantee you that everyone will have brokenness in their lives. How are you going to bring a heavenly, life-giving, redemptive approach to these co-workers, to these employees, to vendors, foreign partners, false or backslidden Christians, or even outright occult practitioners? This is the real world, and Jesus has all the wisdom, power, and grace you need to manage the atmosphere of your Metron to manage it in a way that reverses the effects of the fall. You know, we are commissioned to redeem and restore all that was broken in all the people, places, and spaces around us. So when someone asks you, what did you do at work today? You should have a multi-dimensional answer. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast Presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com.